Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer, Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. 6.30 Chad and the Edmonton Oilers Hockey Club present the show that is everything Oilers. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Brought to you by Digitex. Managed print services to keep your printing costs down? Yeah, Digitex does that. D-I-G-I-T-E-X dot C-A. On Oilers Radio, 6.30 Chad. 6 in Edmonton, our number two of Oilers Now, brought to you by Digitex. Digitex.ca is Alberta's number one owned and operated place to buy office technology and software. We'll keep it going with uh, the hockey talk and specifically goaltenders. Uh, we've got some great texts coming in, 780-496-0063 on the Ashley Fine Floors text line about just that. Ashley Fine Floors, get the new floors you've always wanted. 143rd Street, 111th Avenue, open Monday to Saturday. Catherine Silverman will uh, be with us after the 1.30 news, and that's where we'll take a deeper dive on goaltending. But right now, let's talk CFL, and where better to turn than our own Morley Scott, the voice of the Edmonton Elks here on 630 Chad. And after week one, Morley, uh, probably not the result that fans or the team was looking for. A a reasonable start, but ultimately a 16-12 loss to Ottawa. What were your thoughts on uh, week one? Love the defense, Brendan. Uh, Love the defense. They were were standout. They held the the Red Blacks to under 100 yards in uh, in offense, uh, net yards, that is. And it was the first time in CFL history that a team under 100 yards in uh, net offense won a game. Uh, So the Elks really ground, or the uh, Red Blacks, rather, really ground that one out uh, last week. The offense is, well, they got to take advantage of their opportunities, right? They got to get the ball in the end zone when they get close. Um, They they struggled. They had, uh, you know, one touchdown. They kind Kind of scored one, but Mike Jones stepped out of bounds. That didn't count. Then they got inside the five and a penalty wiped that play out. And then, of course, the pick six was also a big turning point in the game, too. So the offense has to figure out a way to get into the end zone. They talked a lot this week at practice about details. And then I heard also heard the phrase, details of the details. So uh, they're really focused on making sure that everything goes right this week offensively. Just doing the little things, like making sure you got your block, making sure you run the right route, making sure you throw on the right shoulder, whatever the case may be. Uh, they're really 
really focused on on doing it correctly this week and making sure all the rust is knocked off against the Alouettes. Well, you get the sense and just having watched that game, it wasn't necessarily the, the mistakes were resulting in big penalties or they weren't uh, mistakes worth of over-emotion from it all being pent up for not playing for a couple of years. It was not securing the ball as you're turning up field near the goal line and then it goes 101 yards the other direction if you're Shy Ross kind of a thing. But overall, I imagine it's still a sort of a feeling out process for, uh, for head coach Jamie Elizondo as he gets reacquainted with some like Trevor Harris and Greg Ellingson, but is introduced to some others like Darrell Walker. Yeah, absolutely, and he's got to figure out the best way to work those guys into his uh, into his offense, right? And and I mean, any good OC is going to find a way to make Darrell Walker useful in his offense, right? Same thing with James Wilder Jr. So, uh, you know, he knows everybody. You know, he's been watching them play uh, through three weeks of training camp, and then now a couple of weeks and one game worth of the regular season. Uh, so, uh, I don't doubt that they're going. You know, they have too many weapons not to score a lot of points in my mind. There's just too many weapons offensively. We saw them produce the yards uh, in week one last Saturday and now they just got to finish it off and like I said earlier they're they're working on the little things to try and help them get into the end zone this week and and uh, hopefully we'll see uh, Sean White kick some converts instead of four field goals this week <laughs> yeah it's and, and still doesn't miss he's he's Mr. Automatic as Sean White as he as he always is you mentioned James Wilder Jr. the new uh, running back for this team taking over for CJ Gable he he handled really all of the rushing duties. I don't know that Terry Williams did anything other than return out there. But uh, what did you think of Wilder Jr.? Because my initial impression when I just saw the guy walk past me on the sidelines, he's built more like a defensive end than uh, than a running back. And frankly, then you see him on the field. He kind of runs with the anger of a defensive end as well. Yeah, I've been watching him practice, you know, for a month now. But when I saw him in the game for the first time in green and gold, first thing I thought was nice abs because he had that shirt rolled <laughs> Rolls up, it right? up like Zeke and, Elliott. And, yeah, I mean he should he should have he should be number six instead of number thirty two <laughs> because he was showing off the six pack for sure uh, until the referee told him to roll his shirt down. Uh, but yeah, he's as advertised to me. I mean, he had over one hundred and sixty yards in all in uh, yards from scrimmage uh, between his passing and his receiving yards. Uh, it was the best game statistically for him of the last 18 games that he has started so he's certainly off to a good start uh maybe the problem for him is he shouldn't be the guy who catches the ball the most right right and that was the situation he had more receptions than anybody else on the team and, and you know and i think that's what they're working on this week to get the ball to Ellingson more, get the ball to, to Walker more, get the ball to Armani Edwards and Shy Ross and Tavon Smith when he's in, get those other weapons involved a little bit more and, and let Wilder be uh, the check down when he has to be and be that relief valve when he needs to be and, and give him the ball to run up the middle to keep everybody honest when he has to as well. He's going to put up some big numbers. I'm really excited to watch him play a full season. We, we've seen him against uh, Edmonton over the years and he always puts up big numbers against Edmonton. Uh, nice to see it going the other way this time. And, and yeah, he, he's poised to have a pretty big season in this offense, I think. I don't want to be overcritical as we chat here with the uh, voice of the Edmonton Elks, Morley Scott. But I think back to even when Jason Moss was the coach uh, a couple of years ago, it seemed like 
the tendency of Trevor Harris is not necessarily to look all the way down the field or even to make the intermediate pass a lot of the time. Um, it seems like the check down is, is often, you know, kind of a, a good outlet for him and that's where it ends up going. And then you're asking a lot of your receivers to to try and, and push, move the sticks, really. The thing about Trevor is I understand he throws a pretty good deep ball. I just don't know that we get to see it a lot. And I think that something to do with the fact that it was week one, sure. But when it came time to really take the top off things and try and go for it, it looked like there was a little bit of a disconnect. So early season, or is there something to be said for maybe more of a willingness or or play calling wise to get those bigger chunk yardage plays? Only had one completion more than 20 yards, uh, one pass more than 20 yards. That was to Darrell Walker. So, yeah, they, they got to they gotta have some explosive plays. There's no doubt about it. You, you, you win in the CFL with big plays. And I think through the first week and a game, we've seen that. I mean, you know, the 61-yard the pass last night from Roddy to Burnham. Uh, you got to have those plays in your game, and you got to be able to make those plays. Uh, Trevor can make them, and he's made them before. And I think once the familiarity is there, that he'll be making those plays again. I, but you have to stretch the field for sure, and especially with the speed demons that he has with, with Mike Jones, with Darrell Walker, with Shy Ross. You have to take advantage with the fact that they're going to get open. They're going to they're gonna, they're gonna lose their defender, and they're going to get themselves open. And that's when I think the Elks can do some damage offensively is when those guys use their speed to get open and Harris hits him you know in motion in full stride and uh, you know who knows and then they're off to the end zone if they don't if they can't get caught because they got an awful lot of speed in their receiving core Almondo Sewell will be chasing Trevor Harris around the field this week instead of suiting up alongside him and already some words being exchanged Morley yeah, Almondo a couple of days ago had some words, and then uh, Trevor Harris today responded to that. So uh, I, I got the the audio here for you right now. Let's uh, let's listen to to what uh, Trevor said uh, in response to what Almondo said. Here's Sewell first. Like I know Trevor, you know, you hit him one time, you start folding. So let's see if that whole Trevor Harris won't show up again. Doesn't matter what he looks like on IG, he's posting all those pictures, looking like a pit bull. But we'll see. <laughs> he's talking outside of his neck. He, he's, it's one of two things. He's, it's gamesmanship, which is what I expect from Mondo, uh, or he's never watched me play football, one of the two. It's not the first time somebody said something about me. Y'all, you got to be able to hit Trevor. You got to put pressure on him. You got to play coverage. It's, it's always something, right? I mean, everybody's got their opinion, but really the only opinions that matter are the people in the locker room to me. So he fights back. He's talking out of the side of his neck, and that is one big, strong neck. I'll tell you that, right? Uh, yeah. So yeah, it's nice to see the gamesmanship going back. Adds a little spice to the back and forth between these two teams. And and I, he is right. It's gamesmanship. I mean, Ottawa tried to do that last year, if you'll recall. Antoine Pruno yeah. went, uh, went in the media and said a bunch of things about Trevor. And uh, Harris responded with 400 yards through the air, uh, most of them going over the head of Antoine Pruno at, at times. And uh, he responded well. So maybe he'll respond the same way tomorrow night against Almondo Sewell in the Montreal Alouettes, but uh, Al- Almondo's going to get to him. I mean, he's he's one of the best. He's big and he is strong and everybody knows it, and it's going to be a tough uh, tough night for uh, David Beard and for uh, and for Jacob Ruby and, and uh, to a certain extent for Matt O'Donnell as well and the other offensive linemen, especially the guys in the middle, though. Uh, they're going to get their uh, they're going to get their fill of Almondo Sewell, so we'll see. Trevor's noted for getting the ball out of his hand quickly, and that nullifies any rush pretty quickly if you can get rid of the ball quickly or 
of course, hand it off uh, to the running back as well. But it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out because there was some entertaining quotes going back and forth this week. And he just doesn't seem like the type of guy that you want to aggravate or give another reason to be determined to beat you. And Montreal's coming out of the gate, and we don't know what to expect from them. You know, it's Vernon Adams Jr. back at the helm, and the guys charged with chasing him around the field are tasked with it. They look pretty darn good once again in that first game. Mike Moore, former uh, Ottawa Red Black, had a couple of sacks to his credit. We know about Kwaku Botang, and he looks just as good as ever. Matthew Betts, I thought, showed really well. The former what, third or fourth overall pick by the Elks. Still the same kind of, uh, of impact players on that defensive line, even without Sewell, right? Yeah, for sure. The, the guys in the middle who are playing where Sewell played, uh, they're going to have good seasons. They had a good start to it. You mentioned Mike Moore with the two sacks. Jake Ceresna as well, back from the NFL. Uh, he's had a really strong training camp, and he had a good game also on Saturday. The D-line is, is lights out. I think uh, I, I, you can't say they're not going to miss El Mondo Sewell, but they've got some really talented players in there, and and uh, if, if, if the Elks have trouble defensively, I don't think it'll be along their defensive line because those four guys are studs. Four sacks in the game last week, five sacks total, but four from the defensive line. Although they're going to have a different challenge, Brendan, in this game because Matt Nichols likes to stay in the pocket. Matt Nichols had a sore shoulder. Uh, Vernon Adams Jr. doesn't have a sore shoulder. He can fling it downfield, and he can run too. So it's going to be a different approach for the D-line. They're going to have to keep him in the pocket a little bit. They're going to really have to watch out for him, and they're going to have to make sure if they get a hand on him to take him down because if he breaks a tackle, he could turn it upfield for a big game. Chatting with Morley Scott, the voice of the Edmonton Elks here on 630 Chad, and let's talk a bit about the uh, defensive backfield then Morley as Aaron Grimes comes back and he looks like ever the impact player that he always was despite playing on a surgically reconstructed knee but they lose Scott Hutter out of the safety position there it was already thin for them uh, and it sounds like Jordan Hoover is back from the uh, six game injured list does that mean that he's ready to be reinserted into the lineup or is this still going to be a point of, uh, of weakness or perhaps a vulnerability on the back end there? Well, according to the Elks depth chart, and uh, we know depth charts aren't worth that much so far this year in the Canadian Football League, if you look at the BC Lions, uh, but according to the depth chart, uh, Eric Blake's going to start at uh, at safety. He finished up the game at safety uh, when Hutter got hurt last week, and he looked fine playing there. He's a, he's a draft pick from a couple of years ago, so he'll uh, looks like he'll get the start. Hoover is back on the roster, and he is going to dress as the backup, and also Jermaine Gabriel, who was a free agent signing by the Elks in the offseason, is also on the lineup as well. He missed the first game because of injury missed the last part of training camp as well former member of the Toronto Argonauts so they do have their Canadian depth back at the safety spot with the loss of Scott Hutter Blake will start Hoover and Gabriel will back him up and those are really the only changes that uh, the Elks are going to see on their roster moving forward into this game uh, they came out of uh, the last game uh, pretty good as far as starters go uh, they're going to miss uh, they're going to miss some other guys Christian Rector defensive lineman isn't going to play he got hurt in the game but he was a rotational guy coming in and uh, and just playing in in certain areas of the game so he's not going to play uh, in the game tomorrow because of a knee injury but other than that uh, the starters you know except for Hutter they escaped uh, they escaped healthy so um, they go into game two pretty much looking like they did going uh, coming out of game one how does the rest of the west division look like so far have you had a chance to catch any of the games 
Uh, yeah, I've watched bits and pieces. I've watched a lot of the game last night. Uh, man, uh, Mike Roddy just continues to live up to the legend, right? Uh, uh, he did start, uh, you know, there. I don't know if there's shenanigans with the depth chart or not, but for the second week in a row, the guy who was listed as the starter didn't start, and the other guy did. Uh, it was Nathan Rourke starting last week, and then he was listed as the starter in practice at that spot all week, and it was Riley who started last night and looked pretty good. 342 yards, uh, scored a touchdown on a plunge, and I think, you know, we saw it here for six years. When he's on the field, you're a better team. Doesn't matter who he's playing for. If he's on the field for you, you're a better team. And and I think the BC Lions, we saw that in Saskatchewan in week one when he came into the game. The Lions all of a sudden looked so much better and almost came back and won that game. And they looked pretty good last night at times. Their defense was really good. Uh, four interceptions on Bo Levi Mitchell. I think Calgary's got some issues to deal with. I know Dave Dickinson last night said his, they kind of imploded, and he was a little disappointed in that. He said, I knew it was going to be tough, but I didn't think we'd implode like that. So they have some things to work on as well. Uh, Winnipeg gets their second crack at it tonight. Um, and again, they're playing without Andrew Harris, so we'll see how they do against the Toronto Argonauts. But they got a win in week one and, and, and looked pretty good. So Saskatchewan, same thing. They, they looked great in the first half and then faded pretty badly in the second half of the game. And they'll be up against a pretty angry Hamilton Tiger Cat team in the second game of the doubleheader uh, tomorrow night. So uh, I think I, I think the West is going to be close. I, I think it's going to be close right, right down to the wire. Uh, this might be the year, though. Uh, I mean, the East has won two of the three uh, head-to-head games this year so far, and I think this might be the year that maybe uh, there won't be a crossover. And all, if you're going to make the playoffs in the West, you're going to have to finish in the top three, which would make it even uh, more of a grind for the teams that are involved in it, because they should be... I think the standings will be pretty close. I hate to give the Stamps credit for anything, Morley, but those jerseys mm-hmm. they've been wearing like these them. last... They're, they're great. Yeah. They're sharp. I really like them. Uh, it's uh, I like them. It's the best stamps uniform I've seen in my time. I, I wasn't a big fan of the black ones that they wore. Uh, they were okay. I like I, I like the shiny helmets a little bit that they wore with them. But those those unis are sharp. I really like the, the with the stripes and the shoulders and everything. They look they got a good look to them for sure. All right, three thirty is the countdown to kickoff tomorrow, five o'clock game time. Yourself, Dave Campbell, Blake Dermott will be there. Eddie Steele, a great new addition to the broadcast team. Uh, you got to be excited uh, to be back in the booth. Hey. Absolutely, yeah. It was a fun night. Uh, we got the, we knocked the rust off. We found that it was riding like riding a bike, a, a big awkward bike, but a riding a bike <laughs> it was last week. So uh, we'll be a, like like the Elks. We'll be a little bit better uh, tomorrow as well as we go into into game two. Also, so yeah, looking forward to it. Uh, important to win. I mean, it's been uh, what eleven years since the Elks started zero and two with two straight losses at home. That was back in twenty ten, and with a fourteen game schedule, you can't fall behind too far without being in serious trouble so uh the, the uh, stampeders are already in a hole the elks do not want to join them there yeah we talked about the nhl returning to the marathon the cfl still in sprint mode morley thanks for taking some time uh, this afternoon and have a great call tomorrow thanks brandon always good to talk to you absolutely that is morley scott here on oilers now this afternoon teeing up elks talking about the first game of the season what's coming up saturday again five o'clock the montreal alouettes come to the brick field at commonwealth stadium to make their regular season debut time for a quick timeout here on oilers now back in a moment this is oilers now with bob stoffer on oilers radio 630 chat Going all over the map today, talking Elks, talking NHL. 
heard from Slater Cuckoo a little earlier in the show. His appearance last night on Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins, Dave Panyota. It was great to uh, get him on the show and have his thoughts on not only the Oilers from an outsider's perspective, but a few other brewing situations around the league. But... As you look closer and closer at this Oilers roster, and certainly over the course of this week, Cody, it's it's all but complete. I mean, they can head into training camp now, knowing that they've got pretty well every, um, you know, everything skeleton-wise is there. You've got your position battles. You've got uh, a very clear landscape now of what the Oilers are going to look like come September and October. The biggest question remaining is whether the goaltending duo can duplicate enough stability over an 82-game season versus a 56-game regular season to get you to where you know this team can be. So do you bank on Mike Smith being that guy? Is Miko Koskinen really that much worse than the next available option? If he'd stop letting in the first shot of most of his starts, frankly, I think it would be a different story. You know, that can't bode well for the team's confidence in the player or the player's confidence in himself when he gets out there and... And it must have been five or six or maybe even seven different times. So it's not like I'm just nitpicking here. Like it was an abundant problem for for Koskinen. And I think that's probably where people are saying that you need to replace this guy ahead of the season. Well, that may not necessarily be the case. And we've been talking about Jonas Corposalo as an option. We'll get to a couple of those texts right now. 780-496-0063. Katie Case says Columbus is looking to move Domi. So Corpusalo with negative value, uh, the only way that you trade for Corpusalo is if you also get Max Domi. Trade I see is Domi uh, plus Corpusalo for Koskinen and Yamamoto, maybe a little bit more. I don't see the Oilers being willing to part with Yamamoto in a deal like that. I think the price that they're looking to pay is more in the in the futures realm, right? Like Yamamoto's a piece of this team right now. And that is what they've spent this offseason accumulating as pieces for right now. So if you're looking to acquire a right now goaltender, you're giving away tomorrow. And to me, that's Dmitry Samarukov and in all likelihood a draft pick. You're trading from a position of organizational depth in young defensemen. And they drafted Broberg the year after Bouchard, so they'd eventually have this luxury and now they do, where they can, you know, have the nice, pleasant surprise in third rounder Samarukov be a, a genuine trade chip. The question is, where does he end up and who comes back the other way if ultimately a move is made? What do you think, Cody? I think that's fair and definitely, I mean, putting Yamamoto in a trade scenario, probably not the best when, you know, the, this is a guy who can fill in in your top six when need be. And again, if he can get back to that pace he was playing a couple of years ago, this is a very valuable offensive piece who's coming in at a cheap dollar value, you hope, when this uh, contract does get signed. So, and going back to the Corpusala with the negative value comment, I don't know if I see that. I still think that there's a lot of value around a 27-year-old goaltender who was arguably one of the best, you know, maybe second to Vasilevsky in the bubble a couple of years ago. That's not that long ago. Chris Dreger being pitched as an option here as well. Do I think Dreger is going to be happy as a backup? Wonder if there's a trade going on there. Your thoughts? I mean, that's an interesting one, and I know that this was originally a place that there was a fit for Dreger. You know, we talk so much about uh, Jerry Johansson's link to the city of Edmonton. Dreger looking to take that next step, but I think that especially in the West, but at this point, really across the NHL, every team needs two serviceable goaltenders that they can play 
you know, most of the time if need be. And that's what Dreger is to Seattle behind Grubauer. Former Calgary hitman too, right? I believe. Pretty pretty confident in that for Dreger as well. But uh, also, yeah, for, for Seattle, you need a one-two punch. Now you got Grubauer and Dreger, and it's all coming in at under $10 million for your goaltending, where you've seen in recent years, spend money on your goalies. Look at Vegas. Look at Montreal. Look at Tampa. You know, your goaltending can't always be your Jordan Binnington's coming in on super cheap deals. Sometimes you do have to open up the wallet a little bit so you get that consistent goaltending night in, night out. Corpus Allo is five years younger, $1.7 million cheaper, says this texter, and has a good playoff under his belt. What's that worth to a team? Well, Colorado just paid Timmons in a first for pretty much the same thing. On an expiring deal, that's also a position of depth for Colorado as well. You think about what they had on their back end there. So, you know, Timmons maybe means less to that organization than a Samarukov or whatever would mean to to Edmonton. But, you know, bottom line is uh, Corpus Allo is not the only target here. It's an option. I think you have to look at teams that would be willing to take on Koskinen's contract in return if that's the way that this is going to go. And uh, there's not a ton of suitors out there in that realm. But we'll talk about this all with Catherine Silverman when we come back on the other side of a global news weather traffic update with Eileen Bell. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer, Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad.